Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this week's edition, we'll be looking back at match day six of the Copa Libertadores group stage. Yep, that's the final round and there was lots of exciting action to look over as teams qualified for the last 16 of the Libertadores and also some dramatic late action saw teams qualify for the Sudamericana as well. Joining me to discuss all of that is Austin Miller. And it's just Austin this week. We're 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 alone together, Austin, on this week's show. At last, some might say. At last. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know, Adam. I guess Connable qualifiers wrap up and, and all the, the drama and glory of talking about Neymar and, and Lionel Messi and James Rodriguez. You know, those guys go back to Europe and I guess you see who the real South American football fans are. I guess I'll say that. <laughs> if you can enjoy a an unlimited number of, of Rivas's and Rojas's in the Estudiantes de Merida team, did you ever really want to be here? That's all I'll say. I'm happy yeah. to be here, Adam, and excited for the show. I, I think um, I think this week's action was was pretty enjoyable, really, even though it had to had a lot to live up to after, like you say, quite an exciting round of uh, Commonwealth World Cup qualifying that we covered on last week's show. Let's get started with the draw for the last sixteen of the Copa Libertadores, and, and what we're going to do is basically go through that draw team by team, and discuss basically how that team got there, because we felt that going through it group by group would have been probably less interesting for you listeners. So let's go through it tie by tie, and the first tie out the hat was Guarani of Paraguay, but they're going to be taking on Gremio. Austin, Guarani were involved in, in quite a thriller this week, a lot of late drama in in their match against Bolivar um, in in La Paz. They've already qualified for for the last sixteen heading heading into that round. Despite being two one down heading into injury time, they, they still managed to turn it around and and made sure that they really did qualify in style for the for the last sixteen. Right? Yeah, Adam, you've picked the tie that probably was contains two of the teams that were pretty much the most set on what was going to happen with them this week. Uh, Guarani were probably going to finish Group B unless a second division side from Argentina missing multiple players due to COVID infections could go on the road and beat Palmeiras. Um, You won't be surprised to learn that that didn't happen. But Guarani came out and they played. Um, The wonderfully named Fernando Fernandez gave them the lead early. Bolivar got some altitude-backed help in the second half. Marcos Raquelme, but not that one. Um, although, again, it's Bolivian football, so like maybe it could be that one, but it wasn't that one. Uh, scored in the in the 80th minute um, for Bolivar to make it 1-1, and then Bolivar looked to have uh, snatched it right before injury time. A header from their El Salvadorian center back, Dominguez, looked like they'd won it. But Guarani, despite not really having anything to play for, kept at it. And uh, Nicolas Mana had a deflected shot that went in. And then on literally the last touch of the match, Jose Florentine headed in a winner for a 3-2 victory. The two managers got into it afterwards. So it shows that even when nothing's on the line in the Libertadores, it can still be fun. Uh, Again, there's not really much to take away here from Guarani. Uh, Looking at the Gremio side of things, um, they were also pretty much set. Uh, There was more of a question on whether they would win the group or finish second in the group. They ended up in another dramatic match uh, themselves. So I guess last kick 
goals are the theme of this tie, I guess. Uh, Jago Sosa with a, a stoppage time penalty and like real stoppage time, like hundred minute, hundredth minute penalty, um, salvaged a point for Gremio against an America, the Cali side that I think will feel a bit hard done by to not go to at least the Sudamericana. Um, they had scored on a, on a Walter Kahneman own goal in the second half. Thurvan Zogara again played well for them. Um, so this Gremio side, the big kind of takeaway I think from this match is a red card for Walter Kahneman. That means he'll miss the first leg of this tie against Guarani. It's an intriguing round of 16 tie, Adam, but I don't know if I would say that it's the most interesting round of 16 tie. No, I, I, I wouldn't expect this to be the most entertaining match, but I do believe that Guarani will really give Gremio sure. a hard, hard game in, in this one. I, you know, I, I saw Guarani at close quarters in the in the in the qualifying rounds um, when they when they took on Palestino. Um, you know, the, the game in Santiago, they were sort of especially impressive in that. You know, they, they were they were big, they were physical, well organised, and uh, and and really had some danger men on 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 the counter attack as well. Um, and you know, that that's kind of what we've seen from in this tournament. But I, I think I said on a show a few weeks ago, you know, their their pressing is really well or. Um, organized as well and and i i don't know i i suspect gremio will start favorites to, to go through in this tie but i've already seen quite a few commentators here in south america call this as like one of the more even matchups so guarani are sort of winning respect for for what they've done so far in, in this year's libertadores you know they were one of the best second place sides um points wise and, and probably performance wise as well in this year's edition and yeah I, I i kind of fancy them to to perhaps pull off a little bit of an upset in in this one yeah it's an interesting tie because like you said i think it, it's going to be pretty even you know guarani they're going to come out they're going to play their style they're going to press like you say they press well uh but they're not exactly going to going to go out looking to to cut this gremio side open and, and hit them for you know three or four i think it's going to be tight it's going to be you know, tightly contested. Gremio missing a center back in the first leg in Asuncion. That could prove to be the difference in this tie. I, th- I think it will be that tight. And it might not be the most entertaining of ties, but I think it'll certainly be dramatic. Okay, so the next tie we're going to talk about is Independiente de Valle against Nacional. These, this is possibly one of the one of the most exciting ties of the round especially if you're a fan of talented young players as 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 these two sides you know are are among sort of the the sides in the competition who are prepared to to play their play their young stars and and have them as part uh, as key members of the side right Austin so yeah um Independiente de Valle this week they were basically already through that yeah. it would need they, they would have had to have basically got beaten quite well by by Barcelona at home and then also Junior had to win fairly well in in Rio against Flamengo so yeah it was it was always likely that they'd go through but yeah it they were they were pretty comfortable in 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 their game this week against Barcelona, yeah, and they saw themselves through in style and and definitely one of the best second place sides we've seen in this year's 
competition. Yeah, I think as far as IDV are concerned, they were probably the team that nobody wanted to see out of that second place pot, out of pot two. Um, and looking at the teams who finished second place, um, you know, I think Rossing and Internacional are probably in that conversation as well. Um, but IDV are a team that certainly the big clubs wouldn't want to face. And a team like Nacional, I think, will also have some trepidation about this tie as well. As you said, a composed performance this week. They were pretty much already through. But it's still nice to see um, that they went out and they got business done and they didn't leave it up to, to other situations. As we'll get on to in a minute, that was almost the case for Libertad um, with what happened with them. So as far as Del Valle are concerned, a good solid performance. Good to see Gabriel Torres on the score sheet again. He's a player who has really found his spot in that IDV 11. I think he brings something to that team. He's a good, solid goal scorer who they also... You're probably not going to lose Gabriel Torres to a bigger club. You know, he's kind of at his his spot and he can score goals in the Libertadores. And that's what Del Valle need. Um, so that that's good. And as you said, the, the young players, they're certainly poised to, to make another big run in the Libertadores. Moises Caicedo uh, continues to win plaudits for his performance. He won plaudits for his depor- performance with the Ecuadorian national team. So so this is a side that Pre- I think... Preci- Preciado as well, yeah. like right back. Yeah, really impressive for Ecuador and really impressive in this competition this year as well. Yeah, so there's just a ton of names with this Del Valle side, and I think they're, they're certainly one of the sides to watch. For Nacional, Adam, I think there's a question of, we don't really know what Nacional are. I think it's fair to say they came through by far the easiest group. They picked up 12 points from playing Estudiantes de Merida and Alianza Lima, which granted there's something to be said for doing that. They took care of business. That's not necessarily easy to do in this competition. They split their games with Rossing. They ended up winning the group on goal differential by a goal. There wasn't a lot to to separate them from Rossing. So this is going to be a really interesting tie for them when it comes around at the end of November. Um, they didn't win the Uruguayan League. They were beaten to that by a smaller club, Rentistas. That's not a super common occurrence. So I'm really interested to see how Nacional does now that they're going to be facing you know, a much higher level of competition as far as determining whether they advance or not. Yeah, indeed. And like you say, Nacional, you know, they were neck and neck with, with Racing for, for top spot. And so to finish second and... Um, Sorry to to finish first, and then get possibly the best second place side it isn't isn't the greatest reward for them. But yeah, time time will tell as to whether or not Independiente de Valle can live up to their great promise that they've shown so far in this year's competition. Um, let's move on to talk about another Ecuadorian side, Delfin. They were involved in. One of the most remarkable matches of of, of this of this week, um, with just a few minutes to go in their in their game, very few people would have given them hope away to Olympia to win in the first place. But they they basically needed to score and also hope that Defensa and Justicia of Argent- of Argentina concede two to Santos late on. To, to qualify this is all in the last few minutes of the game you would have got very good odds on Delphine qualifying at that point but remarkably that's exactly what happened and their reward for that is uh, 
is a is a glamour tie against Palmeiras of, of Brazil in the in the round of sixteen. I think going into this week, Adam, there was a bit of trepidation that this Libertadores week might fall a bit flat. It didn't seem like there was a lot at play. A lot of the groups were already decided. You looked at some of the other groups, and it looked pretty clear who would go through. This group, okay. You know, Defensa Justicia, Olympia, Delphine, they've all got a chance to go through, but Defensa y Justicia, they control their destiny. So, you know, maybe they just win and it's done. And that was not what happened at all. This was Tuesday was one of the most dramatic nights I can remember in the Libertadores. And it started with with these two matches in Group G. Defensa y Justicia, I think Hernan Crespo deserves a lot of credit for what he did with this squad. Um Going into um, the lockdown, you know, they looked to be done and dusted in this group. They battled back. They took a hard loss on match day five, but they took the lead away to a Santos side that didn't have a lot to play for through Brian Romero. And it looked as though they were going to hang on and they were going to go through. Santos then equalized through Lucas Braga. Um, poor defending from Defensa Justicia, I think it's fair to say, on that goal. That happens in the 78th minute at the Villa Belmiro. Meanwhile, in Asuncion, Delphine and Olympia, it has been one-way traffic for the majority of that match. Olympia uh, controlled things. They were pinging the bar. They were creating chances. It looked as though if there was a team to kind of take advantage of Delphine maybe slipping, it could be Olympia. And that just didn't happen. Delphine's score, I think it's fair to say, against the run of play. And then things get a little weird. Because it almost seemed like Delphine kind of backed up at that point. Uh, at nil-nil, it, it kind of felt like they, they weren't there. But they went, boom, they score. It's 1-0 to Delphine. Agustina Ale with the goal. And then they kind of sit and wait. And Santos score late on. Heartbreak for Defensa Justicia. Um, they at least get a Sudamericana spot for the Troubles. I think that's that's a deserved reward for their performance. Delphine, I, I don't think there will be many people picking them to advance out of this side against Palmeiras, but Palmeiras have played pretty poorly recently. It's fair to say they've changed their manager. They unsuccessfully tried to lure Miguel Angel Ramirez away from Independiente del Valle. Uh, who knows what could happen? My question for you, Adam, is this is a massive, massive disappointment for Olympia. They've been the dominant side, I think it's fair to say, in Paraguay over the past few years. They were top seed in this group yeah, as well. This, I think we should point out. This Libertadores started with Emmanuel Adebayor uh, signing for Olympia. Indeed. The big Olympia Libertadores project. Okay, we've dominated Paraguay. Now it's time to take this to the continental stage. They're drawn into a group with a small team from Ecuador and a small team from Argentina. For them not to advance from this group, for them to finish bottom of this group, I think that's a real big condemnation of, of Olympia and what they did in the Libertadores. Indeed, and I imagine that it's a pretty costly yeah. exit as well. Um, you know, because they were, they invested quite a bit in their squad. Obviously, you know the the, the highlight um, of their of their purchases in the in the last year was that Adebayor signing, which was great. He was greeted by thousands of fans at, at the airport when when he arrived to Paraguay. So. It's uh, it's certainly uh, an odd one. His only contribution was basically to a flying kick into the head of uh, 
of a defender and he was this year player i think it was yeah um and and, and yeah and, and and that's it basically that was his contribution so they had to play one of their games with 10 men they also brought in daily skins you know this was yeah obviously adebayor drew all of the the attention because he's adebayor but this was a team that looked to be set up to make a real legitimate push at the libertadores definitely and now they're out of it as for Delphine, this is a huge coup for them as a club, um, you know, kind of still establishing themselves in Ecuador. Uh, they've been in and around the Libertadores for the past couple of years. But for them to be in the round of 16 and in the manner that they did, that's a huge credit to, to what they've done. Um, I think Maxime Banguera is probably their most famous player, uh, the Ecuador goalkeeper. We've seen him around some Ecuadorian clubs. Um, but big credit to them. It's a difficult task for them in the round of 16 as we move on to Palmeiras here, but it's the Libertadores, and Palmeiras have been pretty poor in this competition. Uh, 5-0 win for Palmeiras against Tigre. They didn't play particularly well, and they still won 5-0. There was a sequence where Palmeiras missed a penalty but then scored from the ensuing corner. Uh, Tigre were always probably the worst side in this Libertadores, so this result isn't surprising. Palmeiras finishing with the best campaign in the group stage for a third straight year also isn't surprising given the other teams in this group. The question is, Adam, as it has been, can Palmeiras take the next step and actually start advancing in the in the Libertadores? The draw looks to be perfect for them. They play Delphine and then they get the winner of a tie between Libertad and Jorge Wilsterman. As I mentioned earlier, um, they sacked manager Vanderlei Luxemburgo as of a few weeks ago. They're in the process of, of looking at managers. Uh, a couple of Spaniards, including uh, Kike, I believe it's Setien? Setien? The former Barcelona. Setien. Yes, yeah, Setien. The, the one who's just left Barcelona. Yeah. Really. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that yet. Yeah, he's, he's rumored to, to be a possibility. Uh, Brazilian clubs, again, they just kind of do what worked for somebody else. So, ah, European <laughs> manager for Flamengo? Let's yeah, all get I, a European manager. I remember, I remember, Austin, when we started this pod, you know, the idea of a Brazilian yeah. side appointing Argentine managers or, or foreign managers in general would have been seen as bordering on a scandal. Now it's all the rage. Yeah, and and it's, it's all the rage for the wrong reasons. It's all the rage because one team actually legitimately took the chance and it worked and so now rather than actually you know taking it's just ah flamingo did it so let's go find somebody to do it and it's just like mm, meh whatever um but yeah for palmetas the the story will be written by what they do in this libertadores and what they do in the round of 16 and the quarterfinals and the semifinals if they are to reach that far uh, I don't think we can really make a lot of conclusions on what they've done so far because this was a, a desperately easy group for them yeah, I'll, I'll be stunned if they don't get to the semi-finals. Um, like you say, they've really had the luck of the draw this year, it seems. And really, the only worry for me would be the fact that this group was so easy for them that maybe if if a team can stand up to them for 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 say more than an hour in a in a match, then then maybe you know it it might be a bit of a shock to their system suddenly coming up against a team who is prepared to hang in there with, with them for 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 ninety to one hundred and eighty minutes. But yeah, I, I don't see any of the sides in this half of the draw until maybe they get to the semi-finals where they'd possibly face River or or Independiente de Valle or or Nacional. We have to we have to see who comes out of that of that quarter. I f- I feel yeah. 
like I say, a dead cert for for a semis for me. But maybe we'll be clipping this conversation sure. out in a in a bloopers reel in, in in a few weeks' time. Who knows? Yeah, and and look, this is a Libertadores, so anything can happen. But even saying that, as you say, Palmeiras need to make the semifinals. There's really no other way about it. Uh, with, with the budget, with yeah. the budget they've got, it's a, you know, yeah. and they have spent year after year and they yes. really have made it public, haven't they, how much they want to win yes. this competition. So the excuses feel like they're running out. But, yeah. you know, it's going to be hugely important as to who comes in, yep. manages this side and, and how much they can get out of this squad, which has, you know, some... Some real talent, young and old. Um, Gabriel Veron, especially, is, is you know one of the one of the best young talents in South America right now. Right, we, we're going to leave um, International Boca Juniors to last. We're, we're going to discuss that at the end. So, so let's have a look at Racing versus Flamengo. The, the reigning champions, Flamengo, had a had another comfortable win this week. It seems like uh, Dominic Perrin. How do you pronounce that? I think it's. I, I want to pronounce it French, but I have no idea how you actually pronounce That's the it. thing. Yeah, I always try French. and pronounce it French, and then I'm sort of cringing yeah. at my own pronunciation. But I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust the commentator's pronunciation no, of shouldn't. it here either. You definitely so. should not. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, that dome. guy who used to manage... We're just going to go with Dome. Dome. <laughs> that's, what the New York City, that's what the New York City supporters call them, so we'll go with that too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the guy who used to manage New York City and he's part of the whole Manchester City vibe. Anyway, um, yeah, it, after a tricky start for him, you know, yeah, Flamengo are looking pretty impressive again. Yeah, they are probably favourites to, to retain their title with the, with the quality of the squad they've got. And also the fact, you know, as I say, they, they are finding form again. But compared to sort of the... The draw they had last year in, in the knockout stages, to me, this looks like a harder route to the final and it and it will start against Racing. And and I think if this, you know, one of the obvious points to make, you know, that none of these games are going to be played in front of fans. But, you know, if this match was played in front of fans, I think this would probably be the one I'd most be looking forward to, especially the, the game in Argentina with, with those yeah. harassing fans really getting behind their side against the reigning champions. I think I think that would have been a, a beautiful f- atmosphere and, and fixture to watch. So, yeah, F- Flamengo will probably fancy their chances even more, you know, with, without that factor involved. But yeah, I, I, I still think that, that Racing could really give them a tricky time. And what we saw in last year's competition in in the knockout stages was the non-Brazilian sides tended to give Flamengo a more difficult game, didn't they? Yeah, last year their most difficult tie was against Emelec in the round of 16 where they had to win on penalties after having performed really poorly away from home. And then River outplayed them in the final. Flamengo won the final, but River outplayed them. And then they beat a pair of Brazilian sides. So I think that is definitely at least part of a concern for them. Um, And the fact that in the quarterfinals, should Flamengo advance, it's Boca or Internacional. And, you know, that sets up some some tasty possibilities as well. Although, personally, I'm pretty tired of Flamengo Internacional. So Flamengo Boca or Inter Racing, something like that, preferably. Inter Racing would be full of storylines. Could that Racing? Ah, that'd be great. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, 
This tie in particular is intriguing. Like you said, Adam, I was talking with a, a coworker here in Argentina who's a big Rossing supporter who um, said that he was very upset that he didn't have the opportunity to go to Rio as an away Rossing fan because that experience would have been quite fun. So it, it is something certainly worth, worth mentioning, um, definitely, that there won't be fans and that, that obviously takes so much away from a competition that is, you know, so much about the fans and the atmospheres and, and the color and the sound of, of South American football. But this is, is definitely a tie to, to, to keep an eye on. Rossing, you know, comfortable this week, 2-1 against Estudiantes de Merida. They're in exactly the same spot that Nacional were. They took all 12 points against their games against two really poor teams in Alianza Lima and Estudiantes de Merida. And then they split with Nacional. So we don't really know what they're about. They will get to play some domestic games before this tie. So I think that is a huge plus for Rossing to get some run out against hopefully a bit higher quality competition. But that could be something to watch out for. You know, they are the head in their group in the Copa de... I don't know what the competition is called here in Argentina that they're running for the next couple Copa, of months. Copa de la Liga, is it? Or, yeah, I think, or, I think so. Something else now. So they won't be facing super high quality competition. So playing Flamengo could be a bit of a jolt to the system. Flamengo have been playing longer than just about anybody on the continent post lockdown. That's a, a point in their favor. But this is a really intriguing tie, um, and, and it's it's definitely the one that I think I have circled with the. Actually, that's not true because I'm a terrible person. I have Libertad Wilsterman circled with my big black pen. But if you were a, a normal person. <laughs> A normal human being, this would be the tie, or maybe Inter Boca would be the tie that you'd have your eye on most. Yeah, I, 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 I think we've uh, we've covered that off nicely. So we're going to move on to talk about that tie that you just mentioned, yeah. that versus. Wait, <laughs> where's the man? Um, the the Bolivians were involved in. Um, well, both sides were involved in yeah. pretty dramatic matches, weren't they, this week? It was, uh, but for different reasons. Um, Wilsterman came out of a group featuring probably the worst Colo Colo side in history. Um, you know, they are in a real spot at the moment where they could get um, relegated to Primera B for the first time in, in their history. We also had... One of the certainly uh, uh, a very out of form Penurol side who who changed their manager or a maybe of in times. form when it comes to the Libertadores, but we can discuss yeah. that in a minute. Well, well, it, at home yeah, in course. home matches, of but course. they offered they offered very little resistance on the on the road, which has been a theme yeah, well, my, of, of theirs over the years. My point was basically they did what they've done in the Libertadores for yeah. you know ten years now. All right, okay, okay yeah. Point taken, point yeah. taken. They also faced uh, probably the worst Brazilian side in, in this year's competition, Atletico Paranense. And yes, that is Atletico. That, that's another pronunciation which I can't get over. Um, but with a, a last-minute winner, Wilsterman not only qualified for the last 16 of the Liberty stories, they won the group, Austin. They won the group. This was... This was absolute drama and chaos and a lot of fun. Um, and this was a great reminder of, of why we love the Libertadores so much. So going into the night, Paranaense were through. 
And it looked as though they would also win the group. They were top of the group. They needed just a point against Peñarol away from home to win the group. Or they needed Wilsterman to not win away from home. So they were pretty much done and dusted. Peñarol had the elephant of their Libertadores history. They hadn't advanced past the group stage since they made the final in 2011. And they'd been in every Libertadores but one. They were at home. They had to win and they needed a little bit of help. Colo Colo were very much in it as well. They were in a situation where if they won and Peñarol lost or drew, they would most likely be going through. So there was a lot to play for, for everybody involved. Peñarol scored in the second minute of their match, so they immediately jumped ahead of, of Wilstrom and Colo Colo. So they essentially set out, all right, Wilstrom and Colo Colo, you now need to go win. And, and for Colo Colo, it, it was a bit more complicated than that. But then Atletico Paranaense came back and they scored two goals in the rest of the first half. Lucho Gonzalez with a, a, a nice little finish, the ageless Lucho Gonzalez, I guess. And then Richard for Atletico with a finish where he kind of caught the goalkeeper off his line and just banged one in from distance. So that actually, no, that was a poor clearance from Peñarol that Richard then put in the back of the net. Too many goals this week. I'm getting them all confused. Um, so it was 2-1 Atletico at halftime and nil-nil. So that result sent Wilsterman through, would have sent Wilsterman through, and Atletico top of the group, pretty much straightforward, maybe kind of as we expected. And then it got even crazier. Peñarol scored two goals in the second half. Kogelmacher with a great header, and then Britos with a finish that gave Peñarol a 3-2 lead. And with the scoreline nil-nil in Santiago, would have sent Peñarol through. And at that point for Peñarol, it then kind of became out of their hands. They were winning. They were doing everything they could. Jorge Wilsterman was playing like we kind of expect Jorge Wilsterman to play. They were defending. They were looking like a side that was like, all right, let's just go to the Sudamericana. Successful little group for us. And then out of, out of nowhere, Adam, they score. And they win the match. And they win the group. And Peñarol is left like, we can't do anything. It was, And also, Colo Colo hit the post in stoppage time. And that would have changed uh, yeah. everything again. Um, it wouldn't have done anything for Colo Colo, but it would have done everything for Peñarol. So this was was pure drama, and it's just absurd that this Jorge Wilstermann side, who, I, look, they deserve a little bit of credit. I, you know, they've been a fairly consistent side in the Libertadores over the past few years. They can defend they well. They king. Of course. They the king himself. Yeah. I, look, I don't want to take anything away from them because, sure, they deserve to go through. But this was a bad group and they took advantage of it being a bad group. So credit to them for that. But, man, what a dramatic night. And Peñarol are left settling for a Sudamericana spot again. Yeah, and, and just a quick word from sort of the Chilean side. This was uh, one of the most pathetic Colo Colo performances I think I've ever seen, you know. They knew they had to win this game to stand a chance of of qualifying for the last sixteen of the Libertadores, if and if they and they knew that if they won, they would at least qualify for Sudamericana. But they were just so lackluster all all night. I, I am worried for them now. I'm more worried for them now than I was a couple of weeks ago when Gustavo. Quinteros uh, first took over because I thought there were some promising signs in his first couple of matches, but this felt like a real regression. And yeah, and I, and I fear the worst for them now, to be honest. Um, but yeah, congratulations to, to Wilsman for, for, for getting out of this group, even though, in my opinion, in the 10 years or so I've been in South America and watched 
you know, the majority of Libertadores match days uh, and uh, and and groups in that in, in that time. I would say that this was the worst quality group yeah. I've, I've ever seen in, in this competition. It was painful to watch at times. And that, I think, is more of a condemnation on the other three teams in this group. Atletico Paranaense, yeah. Brazilian club with a budget, you expect more from them. Peñarol, Uruguayan Giants, you know, great opportunity in this group. You expect more from them. Colo Colo, one of the biggest sides in Chile. Tons of storied history. You expect more from them. Jorge Wilstermann, all right, look. To put this nicely, you know, they're not a big historic club in the context of South American football. They weren't what was holding this group back, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Right. I mean, they were, but but we also expected them to be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a fair comment. It's fair comment. Totally agree. As for Libertad, Adam, um, if, they, if ever a team has backed into a knockout round of a major tournament... That is what Libertad did this week. Um, Boca Juniors had this group one. They had this group one going away. Independiente Medellin were the only side on the continent that mathematically had nothing to play for this week. Even lowly Tigre could drop a scenario with their numbers that would have put them into the Sudamericana. Medellin couldn't do that. It was Libertad on seven points and a minus one goal differential. Caracas on seven points and a minus one goal differential. Caracas... 3-0 3-0 down at halftime. First, actually, given a first-half penalty at La Bombonera. And you know what they did, Adam? They missed it. You cannot miss that penalty. I, I don't care what you have to do to score. But if you're if you're a Venezuelan team and you've been given... Must be haunting the taker. And, and you've been given a penalty away from home at La Bombonera against Boca. You have to score it. You just have to. Um, from there, it was all Boca. Lisandro Lopez, great towering header. Carlos Tevez with a predictable Carlos Tevez brace against a bad South American team. Caracas looked to be done and dusted, particularly given the fact that Libertad scored four minutes into their match. Adrian Martinez, good, solid left-footed finish. It looked to be all good for Libertad. That's what we expected to happen. You know, they would beat Dim. It was if Caracas could pull off a miracle at La Balmaneta. And then Independiente Medellin just found their long-distance shooting boots. First, it was Larry Angulo. Then it was Jose Estupinan. Then it was Javier Reina. And with 63 minutes played, it's 3-1 Independiente Medellin. And all of a sudden, Libertad, one more goal goes in for the Colombians, and they're looking at going out of this competition. And that's exactly what happened. Carlos Monez scores for Dim. It's 4-1 in Asuncion to Dim. It's 3-0 for Boca against Caracas. And on those scorelines... Lowly Caracas was going through despite a 3-0 loss to Boca Juniors. Libertad, to their credit, regrouped. They kind of got the message, hey, we need to score. And they did. Sebastian Ferreira scored in the 79th minute. A really well-taken goal from him. A 4-2 loss for Libertad. Caracas had a golden opportunity. So at that point, they knew what the score was. And they knew they needed to go and score one more goal to have a chance to go through. And wouldn't you know it, Robert Hernandez, the man who missed the penalty, got played into a beautiful position, had the ball on his right foot, and blasted it over the bar. And that was the end of, of Caracas. They go to the Sudamericana, which all things considered, I think, is a great accomplishment for them, all jokes aside. Uh, the situation for them in, in Venezuela and, and the lack of football that they've had, for them to qualify for the Sudamericana from this group, I think, is a great achievement. But it could have been more... And Adam, I, you wouldn't have given a lot of hope to this Libertad side. 
And then the draw comes out and they're playing Jorge Wisterman. So who knows what could happen now, right? Yeah. Um, this is the tie of life. Yeah, right. We, we refer to. Um, yeah, I, do, I, I think if if we say that maybe just Wilsonman deserved to go through in the end from, from that group we just spoke about. In in Libert in Libertad's group, then probably only Boca yeah. actually deserved to go through in that group as well. Where where there's there's an argument to say in some other groups, you've got some third place sides who who feel they probably deserve to go through. So yeah, it's uh yeah it, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating tie between arguably two of the weakest sides yes. left in, in 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 the competition. But you know what an opportunity to get in. So the quarterfinals yep. of the of the Libertadores. Anyway, now we're going to touch on um, a team that we've already spoken about their game. Actually, Atletico Paranaense. Um, they will be taking on that. That they're going to be taking on River Plate of Argentina, the, the 2018 Libertadores champions, and of course. Almost, almost the 2019 champions. Um, they, they, they looked like it until the the 89th minute of, of the final last year. Anyway, um, and yeah, this looks like one of the worst possible draws. A uh, very average um, Paranaense side could have could have got really. No, Austin. Yeah, this is a Paranaense side that um, they're in a relegation scrap in Brazil. Um, which, to be fair, like half the league is in a relegation scrap, the way that relegation works and, and the equality among the teams. But they have not stood out, it's fair to say, in the Brasilia down. They've gone through some managerial changes. Their squad needs some freshening up. Um, they did well. They got out of a Libertadores group that was super kind. They didn't win that group. And now they're being punished for not winning that group. And they have a matchup against one of the best sides in South America. River Plate... Um, after a, a, a brief hiccup to, to kind of start their group stage campaign um, against this same Liga de Quito side that they then beat 3-0 uh, this week, they had to kind of play from behind in this group, um, but they took Deportivo Binacional and just whacked them twice, once in Buenos Aires and once not at altitude in Lima. Um, they beat Sao Paulo twice. Um, credit to River Plate for that. That's you know what gave them this breathing space. Coming into this week, it was only to be determined whether they would win the group or not. They won the group with three second-half goals. Rafael santos Boré, Julian Alvarez, and Jorge Carrascal got one right at the end. They outplayed this Liga de Quito side pretty comprehensively, a 3-0 win, and they get rewarded for winning the group with a, in a, a much easier draw, I think, when you look at it against Atletico Paranaense. So... River Plate under Gajardo, they have the consistency that we haven't seen in South America for a really long time, and probably that I don't know that we will see in South America for a really long time. They are completely counterintuitive um, to everything that we've seen as far as you know, short-term thinking from all of the rest of the sides in the continent, and they've been rewarded for that with everything but a domestic league title here in Argentina. Um, but they look to be right in the Libertadores conversation again, and then making the semifinal, the final, or even winning it, um, certainly not a stretch at all, given what we've seen from them in this competition in the group stage. Yeah, indeed. They, they, look, a, they look a strong contender. And Julian Alvarez again. deserves a, a quick shout-out here too, Adam. He's played really well post-lockdown. 
Uh, kind of maybe a, a bit of a late bloomer, uh, it's fair to say, um, for River Plate, but he's been in, in strong scoring for me. He's still only 20, but he's kind of been around for a little while as, as kind of, you know, maybe a, a promising thing for them. So his performance, I think, kind of takes River to another level um, and, and is certainly going to be one to watch in this knockout stage. Yeah, well, 20 is, isn't too late. Oh, it's no, no, I, I, I'd certainly take that sure. from a Chilean. Anyway, sure. if, if a Chilean bloomed at 20, I'd be, I'd be stunned. Usually it takes them until 22, 23. Anyway, that's a, that's a different conversation for a, for a different podcast, I think. Um, yeah, uh, let's move on to talk about Liga de Quito, Santos. This is, this is a pretty on paper, quite an interesting yeah. and entertaining matchup because for me, these were two of the most impressive sides in, in the, in the group stage of this year's competition. Both, both sides came through their group quite comfortably and, mm-hmm. and for Liga de Quito, it was especially impressive given they were in with one of the biggest clubs in, in Argentina and one of the biggest clubs in Brazil in, in, in their group. So Austin, what, what do you make of, of this matchup? And, um, yeah, and who are you leaning towards, maybe, yeah. to, to come out of this one? I agree with you, Adam. This is a really intriguing matchup. Um, Liga de Quito have been really good in this Libertadores. Um, they suffered a couple of, of big defeats away from home, and I think that's going to be the key for them in this tie. Um, the difference between what they can do in Quito, where they have a bit of altitude, not La Paz-level altitude, but certainly enough to make a difference, and then what they do away from home in that second leg against Santos. You know, how many goals do they feel they need to score? How do they approach that first leg? And then, you know, can they limit the the amount of chances they concede away from home? Because they got beat heavily by Sao Paulo away from home. Sao Paulo's only really good performance this Libertadores. Sorry, you don't get credit for beating Binacional 5-1 at home. You just don't. Um, and then a 3-0 defeat away to River Plate where they were pretty comprehensively outplayed. So that's the question, I think, for them. For Santos, um, yeah, I, I, they picked up 16 points. Um, again, it, it's not the strongest group that they've come through. Um they had a bit of drama this week with what was going to happen with their Venezuelan midfielder, Jefferson Soteldo. It looks like he's going to stay at Santos, but Santos are going to have no control over that. Um, his former club in Chile, Huachipato, bought all of Jefferson Soteldo to keep him from going to play in Saudi Arabia. Um, but again, Huachipato, there's not a huge value in him playing at Santos. So maybe they can hang on for him for the rest of the Glories. So, so, so Tolo's basically said that he'll only consider a move to Europe. Yeah, from from Santos. So, yeah, that, that's that's the situation they're in at the moment, and 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 it sounds like the the player holds the cards really in, in this deal. Yeah, and and to be fair, it's a it's a good move for Wachipata because they're going to be the team that end up making the profits from it, and Santos are going to get pretty much nothing when Soteldo does go. They're simply hoping that he stays, you know, until January um, and can get them through hopefully further in the Libertadores for them. Kyle Jorge is, is another intriguing player. Uh, this isn't a super talented Santos side, I, I don't think. There's not a ton of names that, that really stand out when you look up and down the team sheet. 
but they've played well and they're in a good position in domestically in Brazil. They sit in fifth place in that league table. That's a comfortable spot to be in. Uh, but this is a really good tie and, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Okay. And the last tie we need to wrap up um, for for the Libertadores round of 16 draw is International Boca versus Boca Juniors. Boca finalists in, in 2018, semi-finalists in, in 2019. Um, so they've been there and thereabouts in the, in the last couple of years. Can they you know, go back to the final and, and this time win it. Well, they're in a they're in a very difficult section of the draw. And this tie that they've got coming up is is again quite an intriguing one because for me, in the first half of these Libertadores uh, group stage matches international were, were one of the most impressive sides, I thought. And in the second half of the of this uh, of this group stage they didn't really impress me whatsoever. So, yeah, it's, it's an odd one. So, yeah, a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde side, the, the Brazilians, that, that will face Boca in the round of 16. No, Austin? Yeah, I think I agree with you on that assessment from Internacional. And they're a side that, given what happened in that Gremio America the Cali match, um, and we'll get on to, to what happened in this Inter match, they could have ended up winning their group. And by winning their group, they would have probably had an easier draw. Now they get one of the best sides in the continent in Boca Juniors, who came through pretty much unscathed from their group. Uh, They dropped points away against Caracas in a game that they weren't particularly invested in to start this group. They bounced back from there. Um, They dropped points at home against Libertad on match day five. But all things considered, it was pretty much straightforward for Boca here. Um, the question now comes, all right, what, what do you do when it when it gets a lot more difficult? And that's exactly what's going to happen for them. Uh, an international side that, if nothing else, will pose a threat um, under Eduardo Cudet. He's a, he's a manager who is uh, fiery, I think is, is fair to describe him as. He will relish the opportunity to play Boca Juniors. This international side has a very Argentine flavor to it. Um not just Andres de Alessandro, but but certainly other members as well. Damian Musto is in this Internacional side. Um, Paulo Guerrero should be back at some point this year, maybe. Maybe it's not till early next year. We'll see. Um, but this is a really intriguing tie between two sides that I think will have a lot between them and a lot on the line. They'll both want to kind of take that next Libertadores step. Um, from where we've seen them in the past few years. So a really good tie, and, and this is definitely one to, to watch as well. As far as Internacional is concerned, Adam, their match was dramatic, not necessarily because of what it meant for them, but because of what it meant for their opposition, Universidad Católica, who have dominated Chilean domestic football over the past few years. They were dealt a really tough hand with this group. But in the end, they make it to the Sudamericana thanks to a last-second penalty from Gremio of all teams. Yeah, indeed. I, yeah, I think I've said this before in the pod. But if, if Católica were in Colo Colo's group this year, you know they, they would have won that fairly comfortably, and and they probably would have been in the in the last sixteen of the Libertadores as a, as a top seed. But instead, they they got the hardest group with the final whistle blown in their game. 
having won it 2-1, deservedly so really as well. It was a, it was a pretty impressive Catolica performance again against the two Brazilian giants in this group. They've, they've really performed well. Um, they beat Gremio comfortably 2-0 at home and uh, you know, they've, they've also beaten Internacional 2-1. San Pedri gave his best performance in a, in a Catolica shirt in this game. Um, excellent. Uh, winner that he got in this one. The first goal he got was a, was a bit fortunate. Came right after International had taken the lead against the run of play from penalty spot. Then Kadolika basically went up the other end. Zampedri unleashed a shot and it looped over the goalkeeper via deflection. But yeah, in the, in the final minute in, in Santiago, um, Pooch um, Edson Pooch. Um, Harry's um, the international goalkeeper and, and defender, manages to beat into the ball and, and crosses it in and San Pedri managed, manages to get, a, get an overhead kick on it after an international defender tried to divert it away. So that was really impressive from the Argentine striker for, for Catolica. And then just a couple of minutes later, he's on um, TV being interviewed by by Fox Sports as they're counting down the, the minutes in Porto Alegre where Gremio 1-0 down to America de Cali. Looks like the Colombian side are going to take the last spot in in the in the Sudamericana up for those sides which which finish third in 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 the group in the Libertadores group. As he's speaking in his post-match interview where he's accepting his Man of the Match award, he is told by Fox Sports that basically Gremio have a penalty in the 100th minute of, of their game, which, which they convert and that sees Catolica qualify for the Sudamericana, which is an achievement really given where they were at the, at the start of this night, where they knew they had to beat international to, to to stand hope of qualifying so yeah yes yeah, it's, it's really good news for Chilean football and, and I think Catolica with the draw they've got today they're going to be playing Soldo America of, of Paraguay in, in the first game and, and sort of their quarter of the draw looks and their half of the draw looks um, looks fairly decent yeah they, they could have a run in this competition I think it could be a bit of a blessing that they're falling, a blessing in disguise that they're falling into Sudamericana anyway because they never stood a chance of winning the Libertadores. But, you know, they, they could have a decent run here in the Sudamericana, all things told. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting how it pans out. But, yeah, Bambino Pons was, was very excited, the famous Argentine commentator, um, to inform the Chilean public that Gremio had, in fact, scored a last-minute equaliser. Did he that, sing? That was good news for it. No, he doesn't sing in South American matches. He only sings in Premier League matches. Uh, if he doesn't sing, it doesn't count. No. What I say? But, yeah. Quickly on the Sudamericana, Adam, um, you mentioned the draw for Catolica. That draw was also held today for matches that are now happening on Tuesday. Um, just going to leave that there for the listeners. <laughs> um but yeah, it's an interesting draw. The Sudamericana, it's a, it's an interesting competition. I think there's a really good mix of teams in it this year. Um, I'll be intrigued to see what Sao Paulo kind of do with it. They've drawn Lanús. That's that's kind of one of the glamour ties, if you will. Um, an all-Colombian matchup between Millonarios and Deportivo Cali is intriguing. Um, 
you've got a whole host of Uruguayan teams. Peñarol are in it. Peñarol, Velez, Sarsfield, another one of the glamour ties, I think it's fair to say. Um, Bolivar, Aldax, Italiano, not one of the glamour ties, Adam. But the Chilean teams came out pretty well with this draw. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Chile have got five teams in, in, in this year's competition now. So, yeah, that'd be... Yeah, they'd be hopeful at least getting one of those to to the quarterfinals or beyond. You you would feel just for, just for your law of averages, really. Yeah. Of, of how this of how this pans out. So yeah, I let's think, see. I think looking at the draw, really, Union La Calera, who have been playing well in Chile, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, but they're in a they're in a title race with Catolica. Yeah, uh, very interesting title race. Union La Calera, really difficult to beat. One of the hardest working sides in in Chile, and and similar story with Huachapato really. But they've got strong defence; they can be quite hard to break down. So yeah, but I feel that you know there's there's um, there's some possibilities here for for Chilean sides. Coquimbo and Aldax are a little bit more wild and, and unpredictable in in their form. But yeah, let's 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 uh, wait and see if if Chilean sides can actually make an impression for once in this competition, which they haven't really done for for almost a decade now. Adam, I believe the only country we've not really touched upon on this podcast who we should is Peru. Uh, Sport Huancayo and Melgar are keeping the Peruvian dreams of continental glory alive here in 2020. Melgar, a very tough draw against Bahia, probably. Uh, Sport One Kyo, though, will have an interesting matchup against Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Ah, I'm now being informed <laughs> that it is not Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. So let's give Sport One Kyo some love. Liverpool, 1915, the Uruguayan one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think they've got to be happy. Yeah, altitude for Sport One Kyo. Um, yeah, and, and they always have that. On their side, if they can play there, I, I, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if, if if that's going to be another Peruvian side which loses the altitude advantage yeah. and, and they end up having to play the game in Lima. And, and if that's the case, then you know you. I'm you still would not say, picking Liverpool. I know I'm not picking Liverpool. No. no, no, I'm not picking an Uruguayan team that's not Peñarol Nacional or playing well. Those are my <laughs> rules, and I'm not probably picking Peñarol or Nacional either. Sport Juan Cayo. Kiss of death. You're going to the round of 16 of the Sudamericana. I think that's probably yeah. it for this podcast, Adam. Uh, I, I agree. If, if they have the altitude advantage, if not, uh, I'm, I'm not so convinced. Yeah, like you say, I think that brings us to, to the end. Mercifully, of this some show. would say. Mercifully. Yeah. yeah, we're pretty much bang on the hour, which is, which is quite a nice time um, to get to. So, Austin, is there anything you want to plug? You know it. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I would also encourage the listeners to follow the official accounts of both the Libertadores and the Conmobile Sudamericana at, at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana. Should be a ton of content on that Sudamericana account this week with that competition back. Always some great goals from that competition. Always some great stories. It flies under the radar and maybe deservedly so. But it'll get its time in the spotlight over the next couple of weeks. So if you're you're hankering for some South American football, uh, be sure to check that competition out. And Adam, for yourself? Yeah, at Adam Brandon 84 And yeah, that was a point I was going to make earlier, actually, Austin. I think it's really good that this next month, 
you know, we're, we're going to see Sudamericana have, like you say, a, a spotlight to themselves, really, with those Libertadores ties not happening until the end of November. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's nice because one of the frustrating things in previous years has been like a Sudamericana tie you really want to watch clashing with a Libertadores yeah. tie that you feel you have to watch. Um <laughs> So, I would encourage you not to look at the calendar for the rest of 2020 then, Adam. Uh, enjoy your Sudamericana <laughs> unopposed while you can. Indeed. No, I, I, could, I, I could only imagine. And I've, I've probably got Chilean Primera Division action yeah. clashing all over the place as well because they've got to fit in a whole second half of the season yeah. in the next three months, which is something Chilean football is not very used to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. Um Right, okay, well, thank you for joining me, Austin, to yeah. discuss all this. Um, great as ever. Huge thanks to, to our listeners for, for joining us as ever as well. And it's goodbye. <laughs>